sins unto God our Father, beseeching Him, our Lord Jesus Christ, who grant us forgiveness. Our help is in the name of the Lord. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Almighty God, merciful Father, I, I a poor miserable sinner, confess unto you all my sins and iniquities, with which I have justly deserved your temporal and eternal punishment, that I am heartily sorry for them, and sincerely repent of them. And I pray over your boundless mercy, and for the sake of the holy, innocent, bitter sufferings and death, your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, to be gracious and merciful to me, in your confession, I, by virtue of my office as a caller and announce the grace of God unto all of you. And in the stead of the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>
in the Jordan River, you proclaimed him, your beloved Son, anointed him with the Holy Spirit. Make all who are baptized in his name faithful in their children and inheritors with him of the same Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, ever. Do I will? 
Thus, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens by the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming upon him. And behold, a voice from heaven, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Gospel of the Lord.
is the Old Testament reading from the 42nd chapter of Isaiah. We don't say a whole lot about him in the creeds. He just gets one sentence in the Apostle Nicene creeds. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and of all things that are visible and invisible. He doesn't get a whole lot of our attention during the holiday season because our focus is on Jesus Christ and almost thoroughly on Jesus. And that's the way it should be, for Christ is the center, uh, the central message of Scripture, and He is our Lord and Savior. We celebrated the events of Christ's birth. We've journeyed to the manger with the shepherds, rejoiced in Him with the angels. Remember that His is the name above all names, the name by which we are saved. And we brought him gifts as the Magi did. We are ready for his second coming. We're ready because God has made us his people through baptism. His place is named by faith. We long for the return of Jesus. And now we are in the season of Epiphany. And again, our primary focus is on Jesus. But it is Jesus who taught us to first pray, Our Father, who art in heaven. Though at times it appears as if God, our Father, is way up there in heaven, a long ways away and apart from his creatures, you should know that he is quite instrumental in every part of your lives. Not only did he create you and give you life, and then through his Holy Spirit recreate you, and give you new life in baptism, but he provides for your daily care and protection. He loves you. He sent his Son to save you and his Holy Spirit 
to give you life. While clearly our focus must be on Jesus, our Lord and Savior, it is our duty to thank and praise, serve and obey our Heavenly Father, because he is the source of our life and salvation. Today's Old Testament reading is known as the first of four servant of the Lord passages in the book of Isaiah, and it shows how active God the Father is in our salvation. This passage is fulfilled in the baptism of Jesus in our gospel reading, when God the Father does indeed fulfill his word and anoints Jesus to be his servant, his suffering servant, anoints him with the Holy Spirit, and appoints him to preach the gospel, to carry out the salvific plan of God the Father. That plan of salvation is fulfilled in Jesus especially when he died and rose again from the dead. Jesus acknowledges his purpose in John's Gospel, where he honors his Heavenly Father by saying, If God were your Father, he said to the Jews, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. And he also says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say, and what to speak. Our text, God the Father, says of his servant, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. This text acknowledges that God the Father works through his servant, through his son, First of all, God the Father sends his servant to bring forth justice to the nations. Jesus did that by preaching God's word of truth. Jesus was a preacher of the gospel. And after his ascension, he continues preaching the gospel to the men that he has called and placed into the preaching office. And Jesus didn't need to shout or turn everything into a crisis to get people's attention. He's nothing like today's radio and cable TV personalities who seem to have to shout to be heard over everybody else. Jesus proclaimed the powerful word of God with authority because spoke as God's representative, as the Lord himself. And the word he spoke is God's word. The very same word that spoke creation into existence. Furthermore, many people see God the Father as a vengeful and angry God. So much so that during the early centuries of Christianity, people thought that the God of the Old Testament was a wicked and evil God. And the God of the New Testament was a good God. So, like Marcion, they simply denied the Old Testament scriptures because they came from the wrong source. But God the Father is God. He is just and righteous in his judgments against sinners. Each and every sin is a transgression of God's divine will and worthy of his divine retribution. It isn't human beings who decide what sin is. It is our creator who determines what is righteous and unrighteous. We are worthy of his wrath and condemnation. But note... 
Note that he sends his servant to be the pastor for all nations, a compassionate shepherd. God the Father says of his servant, a bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Here is a picture of God sending his son to demonstrate, to announce his tender mercy, love, and compassion for us sinners in our frailty weaknesses. We are all bruised reeds. We may think that we are powerful, smart, self-sufficient, good. But in God's sight, we are bruised reeds, imperfect. And yet Christ has come to support and protect us, as you sung in the fourth stand Luther's hymn today. He has come to comfort and forgive us in the weakness of our sinful flesh. As Jesus said, he didn't come for the righteous. The righteous who are just fine on their own two feet don't need Jesus. For those whose faith is fragile, him, perhaps because they've come to temptation and feel the guilt and weight. You can imagine your Savior as he cups his hand around your dimly burning faith to protect you from the evil winds of this wicked world so that he may preserve you in your faith. And then God the Father says of his servant, he will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. In this world, the allies of the Antichrist wear down the saints with a constant barrage of false teaching, of attacks, of ridicule, trying to destroy your relationship with your Heavenly Father. If you have any exposure to critical theorists here on campus, you've seen their relentless bullying tactics at work, canceling and deplatforming anyone who doesn't agree with them, anyone who opposes them. This is the work of the devil, and it's an evil work. He desires to divide us from God and from each other by using false teaching. But he also uses our own sinful nature as it gets us involved in our envies and selfish motivations, our jealousies and our gossips to, to also attack and bite at each other, to be criticized and harsh. And the thing is, we give in to the devil. He wears us down. And we we give up. We don't want to be canceled or deplatformed. We don't want to lose our jobs. But the servant whom God sends will not grow weary or faint. He does not succumb to the devil's temptation, but he defeats them. In his work of proclaiming the truth and rescuing us from sin and death and the devil and defeating our enemies, Jesus is relentless. He is someone you can count on. He is undaunted. He is victorious. He is faithful to his task. The task that God the Father sent him in this world to do, and that is to save you from your sins, rescue you from the power of the devil, and raise you from the dead. And there's no match for our Lord's greatest work, and that is forgiveness. In forgiveness, Christ heals the division between God and man. He heals the divisions between man and man. 
And he does that by taking sins away. Where there is Christ's love and forgiveness among his people, the devil can never be victorious. All his evil works come to nothing. But then God says directly to his servant in our text, Thus says God, the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and, and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. We confess in the creeds that God is the creator of all things. On the seventh day of creation, God rested because on the sixth day, he looked at creation and said, it is very good. It was perfect. It was just as God wanted it to be. Then came the fall into sin. And with that, the corruption of God's perfect creation. With the fall came not only sin, but death and disease and storms and famine, demonic possession and evil. So God sends his son to this broken world to begin the process of restoring creation, of returning creation to that seventh day perfection. Today, this is an ongoing work, and Jesus does it through the preaching of his word and through the gifts of creation. When he returns on Judgment Day, then that will be it for this cruel world, as Jesus gives to us in heavens and new earth. But during the Epiphany season, this is when the church focuses on the work of Christ in restoring creation. And he does so through his miracles, where he heals the sick, gives sight to the blind, restores the limbs of the lame, where he raises the dead, casts out demons, calms storms, and then through the preaching of God's word, he brings truth into a world of lies. He brings life into a world of deadness. Yes, during the epiphany, focus on the miracles and the preaching of Jesus. The epiphany literally means to shine a light on, to make manifest, to enlighten, to reveal. And through his preaching and his miracles, Jesus does indeed reveal that he is the divine Son of God who has a divine appointment to save souls. But Jesus also came to reveal his heavenly Father to you. For apart from Christ, you cannot know the true God. You cannot know God the Father. For Jesus said, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. You know God the Father because Jesus has revealed him to you. You know him as Father. Because you know him as a God of Jesus revealed God's love for you. A love that was so magnificent and great that it gave into death God's only begotten Son for you. So that through Jesus, you are reconciled to God, your Heavenly Father, and Jesus has revealed your God as Father, a God who loves you. God also says 
of himself in the Old Testament, that he is a jealous God. He is jealous for you. Now for human beings, jealousy is a sinful emotion. But for God, for him to be jealous for you means that he is zealous for you in your salvation. He is zealous for you to be his people. He doesn't want to share you with anyone or anything else. Because if there's anything that comes between you and God, it means that you are lost. And so God has a zealous desire for you. But the things that we put between God and ourselves, we call idols. We look to them for help and support and deliverance and rescue and security and not to God. That's why they're idols. Now, in this culture, we don't take a piece of wood and carve it into an idol and worship it. But we do have our idols. We have things like TV and celebrities and sports and leisure. And then there's things like sex and money and even education are idols. These things require sacrifices from you. They require your allegiance, your worship, your servitude. They demand from you faith and trust. They take from you time with God. They come with you and your Heavenly Father. But the thing is, even though idols demand and demand and take and take, they don't give you anything. What they do actually give is unbelief. And what they do produce is death and damnation. It's not too difficult to see why our Heavenly Father is a jealous God. He doesn't want idols in your life. He doesn't want anything that would share your relationship with Him and thus destroy your relationship with Him. For as Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. God has paid a great price to redeem you, make you His own. He's given you His servant, only begotten Son, as His sacrifice for your sins, so that you can be reconciled to Him and not be lost in darkness and death. The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ demonstrates just how zealous God is for you, His people. And the world doesn't know God as Father. They don't even know God rightly because they don't know His But you know God because Jesus has revealed Him to you. You know that God the Father is your Creator, you know that he has graciously given you life and salvation through Jesus. You know that he has sent his Holy Spirit to make you his people in the waters of baptism so that you may be, be, believe and be saved. You know that he continues to sustain this faith relationship with him through Christ Jesus in the preaching of his word and in the administration of the sacrifice. You know that you have a good and gracious heavenly father because you know Jesus. And as well as at the conclusion of his explanation to the first article, all the good that God the Father does for me, it is my duty to thank and praise, serve and obey. To illustrate 
there was a little boy whose not-so-good friend was tempting him to pluck some cherries from a tree which his father said he could not touch. You need not be afraid, said his evil companion, for if your father should find out what you did, he's too kind to hurt you. Ah, said the little boy, that's the very reason why I wouldn't touch them. For though my father wouldn't hurt me yet, I should hurt him by my disobedience. Because we have such a father, a father who loves us perfectly, who is full of grace and mercy, who delights in calling you his people, who provides for all that you need for both your earthly life and for your soul. Well, we thank and praise and serve and obey him, not reluctantly, but with gladness. In Jesus, please stand. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding guards your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.
Therefore, with angels and archangels, and with all the company of heaven, God to magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and singing. Thank you. 
body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, given to death for the forgiveness of your sins. Take me the true body of our Lord and Savior.
We thank you that for his sake you have given us pardon and peace in this sacrament. And we ask you not to forsake your children, but always rule our hearts and minds by your Holy Spirit, that we may be enabled constantly to serve you through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever.
grant that all who have been baptized into your Son would worthily receive the heavenly feast of his body, but for their forgiveness. Lord God, Father, you manifested yourself with the Holy Spirit in the fullness of grace at the baptism of your dear Son. With your voice, you directed us to the one who has borne our sins, that we may receive grace and forgiveness. Keep us, we implore you, in the truth. We have been baptized in accordance with your command and the example of your Son, by your Holy Spirit, and lead us to everlasting life and salvation through the same Jesus Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, Pastor Corey says, we go on Tuesday. Well, I'm just, I'm out, I don't know. Well, God bless you, Richard. Thank you for having me today. Bless you.